called him um, last night at, at about six o'clock, and, and he'd been praying for um, Allison's mom as well. And so I'm sure that when he saw my phone number pop up, he knew what I was going to ask, and he still answered his phone. Um, and so, Rob, thank you. I love you, man. Um, hey, if you have a Bible, uh, you can open to Acts chapter 16. We're continuing our series that we're calling Storyline, and we're asking a simple question that's um, complex and hard to answer. And that, that question is, how do we get to the end of our life? And like the Apostle Paul says at the end, I've, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. And I wanted to ask myself and us the question, how do we get to the end and say the same thing? That Jesus, we were, we were faithful to you, we lifted you high, and we lived our story for your story. Because that's where we've been coming back to every single week. Is that the way we live the best story is by relinquishing the rights to our story. And saying to God, God, use my life for your name and use it for your glory and use it for, for your fame in this world. And, and as we continue that journey this morning, we, last week we looked at what do we do when, when it feels like we failed? Where, where do we go then? Um, this morning I want to look at it in a little bit of a different light. And what happens when, when people let us down? When, when circumstances don't turn out the way that we want them to because of other people and the, the way that they treat us. You see, that has the ability to derail stories, lives. <laughs> and isn't it interesting that some people's lives are, are made by that in a great way where they're able to not only recover, but the things that they go through really shape them in a good way. And then some people are, are crushed by those. I... Um, I, as you know, I have uh, three little kids, and um, I've learned a lot over the last four years about kids. I Actually, um, there's a lot I didn't know going into this, and, and had I known, I would have been terrified. But um, uh, Ethan's diaper, my oldest son's diaper, is actually the first diaper uh, of any baby I've ever changed. Um, and that was when he was two years old. So um, <laughs> just, I'm just kidding. All the women looked at me like, oh, no, he did not. <clears throat> No, I'm, it was in the hospital. Um, but here's a, one, of the th- one of the things that I've learned about infants, about little kids, is that they have a, a terrible vision. Uh, and in fact, when they're just uh, born, um, an infant can only see six to eight inches in front of their face, and everything else is non-existent to them. So, so literally, their whole world is within six inches of their body. Now, this makes for some interesting interactions with an infant. If you have had kids, you know this, that it's easy to scare your little kids. Um, not intentionally, I wouldn't do that. I'm not that kind of person. But here's what Reed does when we accidentally, because he can't see anything when he gets scared. He does the arms way up in the air, and then they fly up at the speed of light and then slowly come down. And he's like, I just picture in his little head going, couldn't like touch my foot. Just let me know that you're here. Let me know that you're around. Say something before you're in my face going, hi, buddy. How's it going? And I think a lot of us, I don't know that some of us maybe never grow out of that phase where life, our life is defined by the things that are in our immediate vicinity. And so when, when life gets difficult and with life gets hard, um, that's all we're able to see. And that's all that we're able to think about. And that, that consumes us. I, um, it, isn't it interesting 
that two people can go through the exact same experience and, and come out completely different. Where one of them you, you, you look at and you talk to and they say, listen, that absolutely shaped my life. I talked to, um, I talked to a woman just recently who said cancer was the best thing that happened to me. And other people, other people, it's the most devastating thing. What, what changes us? I, 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 um, was following the Colorado sports awards this year because I just, I love sports. And, um, Peyton Manning was the Colorado athlete of the year. Um, but there was this, um, girl, I think she's in college and her name is Lacey Henderson. You may have seen the story. But at a young age, Lacey lost part of her right leg to cancer. And she's gone on to be this amazing athlete, cheerleader at DU, and she's done amazing things, is going down to train at the Olympic Training Center to run in the Disabled Olympics whenever they are next. And I thought, you know, that's a, that's a situation that shapes her life and ruins another life. How do we become the type of people? How do we become the type of people who allow God to bring things into our story that we wouldn't choose and, and, and have it shape us for his name and for his glory and not just decimate us. How do we become the type of people who respond to difficulty, to trial, to persecution in a way that actually makes us better and not bitter? Listen to the way that the Apostle Paul says this to the church at Corinth. Because I think he gives us a little bit of a, of a framework to work with. And he writes this. For our, what's that word? Light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now, if you've, if you've read Paul's autobiographical sections of his letters, you know that there's nothing light about the troubles that he goes through. I mean, there's, there's nothing light about getting beaten within an inch of your life. There's nothing light about being stoned in a city and dragged outside so that you can die peacefully alone. There's nothing, there's nothing light about that. There's nothing light about being wrongfully imprisoned, about being shipwrecked, about being bitten by a snake. There's nothing light about the things that Paul goes through. And yet he has this different outlook on life. This different perspective that somehow, some way, he's able to step back from his immediate situation and say, listen, God's doing something bigger here and, and there's a bigger story being told than just my story. You know what I think Paul tells us in this verse and then lives out in Acts chapter 16, we're, we're going to look at this morning? You know what I think he tells us is that we don't just live life. We interpret life. We see life through a certain lens. We see it from a certain viewpoint. And I don't think it's as much about the trials and the struggles that we go through in life as it is about the way that we interpret them. See, here's the thing. I think we can all go through the same struggle. And if this is the size of the frame of, of what I'm going through, then... My struggle seems pretty big, doesn't it? I mean, it consumes the whole thing. It, it, it is my life, like, like a, like a two month old and, and the, the, the area around their face is their whole entire life. I think a lot of us, when troubles come, this is our view, that this is all that there is. And God, where are you in this? But I think what Paul does here, 
I think what Paul does in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is he says, all right, all right, all right. Let's take a step back from the, the troubles. Those are light and those are momentary compared to the glory that's coming. You see, here's the deal. I don't think the most important thing in our life is our circumstances and what happens to us. I think the thing that makes for a good story, the thing that defines a story like Paul's and like many people who are shaped and who are formed by struggles and by disappointments, isn't what comes into their life. I think it's the way that they view their life and the way that they see life. And the size of the perspective that they have. You see, Paul says, listen, I'm not just living for the temporary anymore. I'm living for the eternal. That's a, that's a change in perspective. That's a, that's a bigger frame. Amen? And he says, I'm not just worrying about the troubles and the problems that are coming into my life, but, but I'm looking at that through the lens of eternal glory. And what he says is, hey, As the frame grows, as our perspective increases, our problems have this tendency to to decrease. The things that potentially could have crippled us actually start to make us. And this is the big idea that I want us to circle around this morning. It's this, is that an increase in our eternal perspective always results in a decrease in our temporal problems. An increase in our temporal perspective always results in a decrease. Sorry, I said that wrong. In our eternal perspective always results in a decrease in our temporal problems. See, it's not the size of the problem in your life that's the issue. The the issue in your life is how big is the frame? That's the issue. Perspective matters perspective matters i saw this picture that's um pretty famous you probably have seen it um man holding the sun well well, the the sun's diameter is 870,000 miles wide that's wide the sun's about 27 million degrees fahrenheit it's hot that's an understatement And we're 93 million miles removed from the sun. And so it looks like you can hold the sun. Perspective matters, doesn't it? I started to think, what's the perspective that shapes Paul's life so that when we get to Acts chapter 16 and see what he goes through, he's able to respond the way that he does. What does Paul believe about life? What does he believe about Jesus that gives him a bigger frame of reference than just his life and what he's going through? Well, listen to what he writes in Philippians chapter 3, because this is, I think this is his frame. And he says, whatever was to my Prophet, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. So, so all the good things in my life that could have filled up the frame, that my life could have been about, Paul says, oh man, compared to, compared to knowing Jesus, they're, they're lost. What's more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of, of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
for whose sake I've lost all things. Here's what Paul says. Here's what expands his view. Here's what expands his frame. Here's what increases his perspective is Jesus is better. That's his point. Then all the accolades and the resume that he developed and all the great things that he's done. And you see, those things could have easily filled up his frame. That could have been his life. That could have been his story. But what he does is he says, listen, I'm I'm trading this story in for a bigger story. And in that story, in the story of what God is doing in the world... The bottom line is Jesus is better than anything else that comes into my life. In the good times, he's sufficient. And in the joys of life, he celebrates with me. But either way, he is good and he is enough. He says, I consider them rubbish, literally garbage, trash, poop, that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Literally in the Greek, that's what it means. So, And be found in him, not having a righteousness that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Can we say that? I mean, can we say that with the Apostle Paul that Jesus is Jesus is better? That he's more that he's more beautiful, that he's our that he's our pursuit. See, it's not the size of the problem that's the issue. It's the size of the perspective. So so what does it look like to be the type of people who say, all right, we're going to live with this type of perspective with an eternal, not a temporal perspective. We're going to look at glory and not just our problems. What does it look like to be that type of person? I'm glad you asked that. You can turn to Acts chapter 16. As we lay this over the life of the Apostle Paul. And I'm going to intro where we're going by reading and leading up to the scene in in Paul's story that I want to talk about. So we'll start in Acts chapter 16, verse 16. And it's not going to be up on the screen because it's a fairly lengthy section of scripture. It's a story. So listen as we read it. It says, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met. And this is, this is Luke narrating about what's going on with he and Paul and Silas. We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. Quick time out. This is for free this morning. This is a very real thing. This girl has a demon that allows her to predict the future. And you just you need to know that and tuck that away because not every person that's able to perform miraculous signs and wonders is from God. Okay? She's able to do this. And she earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. And this girl followed Paul and the rest of us around shouting, These men! are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Now, quick time out. She's pretty good theology. Right? I mean, she's nails. She's saying, listen, these guys are speaking the truth about who God is. They're telling you what's right. They're telling you what's true. They're telling you the way to be saved. I mean, can you imagine Paul walking around in town and he just shows up somewhere and, and, and the, the bullhorn in back of him girl says, this man is the servant of the Most High God and he's telling you how to be saved. And Paul's like, thank you for that introduction. 
My name is Paul. I'm a servant of the Most High God, and I'd like to tell you. I mean, I mean, imagine walking into your workplace. This person is a servant of the Most High God, and they will tell you how to be saved. You're like, thank you? And I love the way that this goes. Listen, she kept this up for many days. I mean, she's tenacious. And finally, Paul became so troubled. Now, if you have your own Bible, write annoyed right next to that word. Can you imagine him, him, he and Luke and Silas laying in bed at night going, how do we shake her? Where do, I mean, all right, here's the deal. You create a diversion over there, that side of town, and I'm going on the other side of town. The heck with missionary strategy. We just want to know how to shake this girl, okay? In the name of Jesus Christ, Paul says, I command you, come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, and they dragged him into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in attacking against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and to be beaten. Light and momentary troubles. In a marketplace, performed a miracle that brought freedom to a girl who'd been captive for who knows how long. And he's stripped and beaten. After they'd been severely flogged. I mean, we can, we can read this, guys. We can read this and go, man, that stinks. And that's difficult and that's hard. But I think we, we even, we censored a little bit. I mean, Paul is a, a bloody mess. I mean, he realizes, he, he, he is wondering if he's able to even go on after this. I mean, the Romans were really good at beating people. They didn't mess up. They did a great job. And, and he's experienced it. And they were thrown into prison and the jailer who was commanded to guard them. And there was a jailer commanded to guard them carefully. And upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet into the stocks. Now, the Romans had this way of keeping a prisoner and they determined how much they wanted to torture somebody in stocks. And so based on how much they wanted to torture them is how far apart they would put their legs in the stocks. Paul's in this inner cell. It's cold. There's no light coming in. It's damp. There's rodents. You start to wonder what goes on in his mind, don't you? I mean, I don't know about you. If I'm Paul, this is where I'm living. God, where, where are you in this? God, why didn't you come through the way that I thought you would or I, I hoped you would? Or, and God, why don't you show yourself powerful in the midst of this? God, I thought I was, I thought I was following you. God, I thought I was serving you. I don't know, you ever, you ever been there? Where you just wanted to ask God, like, like what in the world are you thinking? But, but you see, it's not the size of our problem that's the issue. It's the size of our perspective. And look at the way, look at the way that Paul responds. 
says this. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Listen, I'd be praying too. Right? I mean, God, where are you? God, why have you deserted me? God, what did I do? But I don't think that's not the tone of this prayer, I don't think. It says that they're singing hymns. They're, they're declaring by music truth about who God is. They're talking about God's greatness. They're talking about his majesty. They're talking about his sovereignty. Even in the midst of hurt and trial and sorrow and pain, they're worshiping. I mean, that's a different perspective, isn't it? I mean, that's a, I'm not consumed by just what's going on in my own life and my own problems type of perspective. That's a type of perspective that says, God, you just might be up to something bigger here than I can see or I can touch or I can feel right now. So he worships. And suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken And at once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. See, what I think we learn from the Apostle Paul is that when we have an an eternal perspective that shrinks our temporal problems, it allows us to praise even in the pain. And and for Paul and Silas, it's not a superficial, hey, we're just going to sing worship songs and we're going to try to make everything better that way. And forget what's going on. No, it's a very deep uh, seated truth in their soul that God is sovereign, that God is powerful, that God is good, even when, even when life hurts and even when life stings, when it doesn't go the way that we hoped it would or wanted it to. I love the way that the great preacher Charles Spurgeon puts it. And he says this, any fool can sing in the day. He love, he just doesn't mince words. Can you imagine his congregation going, huh? What are you talking about? Me? Any fool can sing during the day. It's easy to sing when we can read the notes by daylight. But the skillful singer is he who can sing when there is not a ray of light to be read by. Songs in the night come only from God. They are not in the power of men. And, and Charles Spurgeon isn't, isn't writing just about the, the physical, literal darkness. He's writing about the darkness of our soul. Those dark nights of the soul, those moments where you just wonder, God, where are you? And when our perspective starts to shrink, the walls start to cave in on us. What we see is that because of what Paul believed about who Jesus was, it gives him this ability to zoom out. And as he zooms out, his problems start to shrink. I think the psalmist writes about the same type of thing. And we started our morning with this. But the psalmist writes, By day the Lord directs his night, and at night, or his love, and at night his song is within me. At night, just not just physical night, literal night, but at night when, when, when life is dark and when it's hard, his song is still within me. A prayer to the God of my life. I'm humbled by the reality that we can be the type of people who cry out to God or who complain to God. There's a difference. 
I want to be the type of person who praises in the midst of, of the storm and the trial, and that's not easy. But, but I think the way I realize that my world is, is shrinking is when I say and I go to God and I just I complain. Why did this turn out this way? And see, it's not that God can't handle our honesty. Me, read through the Psalms. He can handle our honesty. I mean, many of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. It does not mean, though, that they're not songs of praise. Even in the darkest night, David still writes, but praise his glorious name. Does your perspective, does your frame of life allow for that type of interaction with God? See, here's a few things, and if you want to jot these down, you can. I'm going to mention them really quickly. Uh, here's a few things that I think Paul knows and that his perspective allows him to live in this reality, that even in the midst of trial and even in the midst of pain, he's able to recognize the presence of God. That his determining factor of whether or not God is present and with him is not are things going right and the way that I want them to. He's convinced of that before anything comes into his life. And so he can write, he can say with the rest of the the psalmists that say, where can I go from your presence? Where can I flee from you? If I go into the depths, you're there. If I rise to the heights, you're there too. There's not a place, God, that I'm without you. Even in the sorrow, even in the trial, even in the pain too. I think Paul's able to see that something bigger is going on. In the story that God is telling throughout um, history, one, but also in Paul's life, that he's not completely derailed because life doesn't go the way that he wants it to. He's convinced, I think, that God's able and willing and even wants to shape him through the difficult seasons of life. I love the way that um, the great author A.W. Tozer says it, and he says this, Before God can use a man greatly, he must first wound him deeply. Essentially, he has to, God has to, if he wants to use you, he's got to break us out of this mold. He's got to give us a different perspective. I mean, mean, Charles Spurgeon says, again, a similar thing. He says, I'm certain that I never did grow in grace one half so much anywhere as when I laid upon the bed of pain. Is it possible, friends, that that God is doing something bigger than we can see and something bigger than we could even maybe imagine in our life? And that part of that is the journey he takes us through in the midst of trial and sorrow and pain. And here's the thing. Catch this. Please don't miss this in in, in the story. Is that Paul praises before he gets out of jail. Paul is not waiting and withholding praise from God saying, all right, when these jail doors break open, then my hands are going up in the air and we're singing kumbaya because praise be to Jesus, you are here. No. He says, "In in the midst of jail, I'll praise you. And some of us, I think, have been withholding praise from God because of pain and because of circumstances. And I wonder if this morning his invitation is, will you allow worship to reopen your soul to my goodness? 
I think it's, it's sort of like we're getting ready to aerate our lawns here because winter's over. Dear Lord, please let winter be over. And so we're going to aerate. And what it does is it makes those plugs in your lawn so that water can seep deeper and deeper into the roots and and nutrients can get down there. And I think that worship does the same thing for the soul. It cultivates us to receive from God. And, And so if your soul is dry, part of his antidote for that is praise, worship, remember There's a bigger thing going on here than just what's happening in our lives. I don't know where that hits you today, but but my guess is that for a lot of us, there's things that are going on in our life that would cause us to want to pull back from God and say to God, you're not, you're not. We wouldn't say it like this, but we think it like this. You're not worthy of my praise at this point in time because I'm in jail. That is hard. I think what he's saying is, no, 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 no. Press in. Press in. Come closer. Taste that I'm good even in the midst of it. Taste that I'm good even in the midst of the pain. And allow me to minister in the midst of it. So, Luke goes on writing about the story and says, The jailer woke up. And when he saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Now, if you're, a, if you're a jailer, your one job is what? <laughs> right. Make sure they don't escape. I mean, it's not like now where they're like, let them watch TV. Hey, can you change the channel for me? Sure, let me get that. No, the jailer's one job then is make sure he doesn't escape and if he tries to, kill him. And so he, he sees he's failed his one job. And, the, and he drew his sword to kill him. And Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. I started to think, all right, what what do I say in that circumstance? Because a little while earlier, that guy just beat me in public and stole all my clothes, and he put me in this dark, wet jail. What, What do I, I mean, see, here's the deal. A perspective that says life is primarily about us, and if our problems are shaped by this perspective... At best, what we do is we sit back and we watch him do it. But something's different about Paul. Something's different about Paul. See, he doesn't leave the jail and he doesn't leave the jailer. Listen to verse 29. It says, the jailer called for lights, rushed in. See, it's, it's a dark place in there. Rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and he asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and all of your household. I mean, see an increase in perspective for you and for I. It frees us to love even those who who hate us, who mistreat us, who persecute us. If we're able to see Jesus is better and that he's in control and that for some reason he's allowed this to pass into my life, it's like the chains fall off, even for Paul, when he's in jail and he's able and free to love people that just a few days earlier, a little time earlier, wanted to kill him. Do we have that same type of freedom? 
I mean, I mean, a good litmus test is next time somebody cuts you off in traffic, you just internally feel what you want to do to them. And then multiply it by 100, Paul. I mean, I've wrestled with this command of Jesus. He says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. See, if, if my perspective is just what's going on in my life, I don't have room for that. I don't have room for that. I can't, I can't live that out. So maybe a good litmus test for us and whether or not we're, we're living in this, with, with this type of eternal perspective is are we able to love those who we know don't love us back and who may even actively be out for our demise? See, is our care for other people determined by their response to us? The story goes on. Verse 32, it says, Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. And at that hour of night, the jailer took them and he washed their wounds. And immediately he and his whole family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house. Please listen to verse 34. This is huge. The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them. He was filled with what? Joy. He was filled with joy because he'd come to believe in God. He and his whole family. See, here's the beautiful thing, friends, is that whatever perspective we have flows over into the lives of everybody around us. If our perspective is that Jesus is sufficient, that he is enough, and if our frame is expanded, that has an influence on the people all around us. And here's the deal. Some of you are going to be baptized in just a few minutes because people around you had a different perspective. They could see that God was, was good even in, in, the, in the trials and even in the hardship and even in the pain. And they praised him because of it. And maybe just like the other people in jail, they heard that going on and thought, what in the world is going on in that person's cell? You may have seen that in somebody's life. And that may be one of the things God used to get you to this place today. But make no mistake about it, friends. One of the best things that you can do is live with an eternal perspective that isn't crushed by temporal circumstances. And because of it, it results in blessings that overflow to those around you. This isn't just about us. This isn't just about you. For those of us that are, that are parents, this is what type of legacy do we want to leave for our kids? Will we be shaped by trials and by hardships or will we be broken by them? Will we be the type of people who praise God in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the storm, in the midst of life not going the way that we want to? Will we say like Job, yet I will praise you? Or do we say, you come through and then I'll worship? You come through and then I'll worship. See, whatever perspective you decide to have, whatever perspective you embrace for your life, it will flow over into the lives around you. 
my prayer is that the song that emerges from us as South and, and, and as individuals is that Jesus is sufficient and he's freed us to not just be confined by our circumstances. Because it's not the size of our problems that are really the issue. It's the size of our perspective. It's the size of our frame. One of my favorite movies is Shawshank Redemption. And and in this film, Andy Dufresne is the main character and he's uh, wrongfully imprisoned. And it comes to the middle part of this this movie where... um, there's just this downer over, I mean, they're in prison and most of them are in prison for life. And, and there's just this cloud over this prison. And Andy Dufresne breaks into the warden's office and over the loudspeakers, he plays this opera music that just sort of makes the whole jail come to a hush. I mean, the guys are standing in the courtyard and you can see it there. They just, they look up at the speakers and, and are just in absolute shock and awe about the sound coming out. And listen to the way that Morgan Freeman narrates this scene. It's just, it's brilliant. He says, I have no idea to this day what those two Italian ladies were singing about. Truth is, I don't want to know. Some things are better left unsaid. I'd like to think they were singing about something so beautiful that it can't be expressed in words. And it makes your heart ache because of it. I tell you, those voices soared higher and farther than anybody in a gray place dares to dream. It was as if some beautiful bird had flapped into our drab little cage and made these walls dissolve away. And for the briefest of moments, every last man in Shawshank felt free. And it changed their perspective. See, here's the deal, friends. And, and every, just look up at me for just a second. God's design in the gospel is that the song of the gospel and his grace and his mercy towards you. That it would be the background music playing in your life. The whole, your whole life. So whether you're in jail or whether you're free or whether you're in a time of plenty or in want or whatever it is, he says, listen, the gospel shapes our perspective. And even in the midst of trials, we know that God is good and that he is loving and that his grace will be sufficient for us. It can be your freedom. It can be your song. And my prayer is that today, Jesus would just stretch our perspective a little bit to see that he's good in any and every situation. Man, if you trust him as Lord, just like this jailer and just like his family, I mean, the response is, I want to declare it publicly and I want to follow you, God. And so right after that, they're baptized. And that's what baptism is. It's a public declaration that we believe that Jesus is God, that he has forgiven us, and that he is sufficient, and it's our desire to walk after him. I'm going to invite our our band up. They're going to lead us in one last song. And after that, we're going to celebrate together. We're going to celebrate baptism. If you would like to...